And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, Monday as we get back into another week. Midweek, uh, of course, mid-month now of September as we continue to kind of work through this. Uh, kind of a challenging month, of course, as it started out kind of weak. Last week, though, finally got that rally that we've been talking about in the markets. Markets have gotten oversold. And, you know, we kind of said, you know, look, a, a rally here wouldn't be surprising. Again, we held some important support. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but overall, again, you know, when we kind of take a look at where markets are, we just kind of continue to kind of grind out this you know, kind of this market this year. It's not certainly been fun uh, by any stretch of the imagination in terms of investing goes, but you know, this has been part of that process after that huge run up in asset prices in 2020 and 2021. Uh, this year has been a bit of a drag. And, and again, just kind of working off some of those excesses that got built into the market. It's been nothing dramatic unless you've been invested in, you know, a lot of the kind of the sub fundamental companies, right? And, and these are companies that, that don't generate a lot of earnings or revenue and uh, had gotten run up a lot. Those have had huge corrections, of course, and we've talked about those on the show before, but overall, most other companies still doing okay, right? Down a little bit this year, not a huge surprise, but uh, again, you know, markets are kind of trying to, to ratchet out this, this kind of this battle between the bulls and the bears, right? The, the bulls are hoping that the economy's just gonna have a soft landing and everything's gonna be all right, companies are gonna do fine. Estimates for companies are still very high. Goldman Sachs has $223 pinned out for this year, $243 for next year in terms of earnings. Those are very high levels of earnings growth for, for companies over the course of the next two years, despite the fact that, you know, we're dealing with a lot of inflation and, you know, the Fed's hiking rates. We've got the, the Fed contracting their balance sheet. Lots of of bearish arguments. And this has been kind of the, the real story, right? Is this very negative sentiment, no matter kind of where you look across the board, whether it's consumer sentiment or investor sentiment, investor positioning, it's all very bearish, right? I mean, it, if you take a look at sentiment as, as a, overall, just retail investors, they're very bearish. Um, hedge fund managers have the largest put option positions really on record now against the markets, all betting that the markets are gonna go lower here. And, and that sets up an interesting kind of conundrum for investors because, again, when you have all this negativity, and we've talked about this before, when you have all this negativity, that really sets the market up to do, well, the opposite of what you expect, right? Everybody's betting that the market's going to go lower, and when that's the case, everybody's on one side of the boat, markets tend to do something differently. And that's kind of been the interesting case here. We you know we talked about this super negative sentiment back in late July, and you know, so we were talking about levels of sentiment we hadn't seen since 2008, and yet the markets were only down about 17, 18% at the time. And you had looked like markets had just gone through this major bear market in terms of sentiment. We said, well, that is a good setup here for a counter trend rally. Of course, we had that very strong rally in July and, and August. Um, markets have now given up a chunk of that. And then of course, last week we talked about very importantly that markets needed to hold on to this kind of support level uh, in the markets. And we've been building this kind of rising support line in the markets over the course of the last, you know, uh, last week or so. And that's been very encouraging here 
uh, in terms of the bullish trend. Now, the bears are, are certainly talking about the negative trend in prices still. And this is building this very kind of interesting wedge pattern in the markets. And, and again, markets have to resolve wedges at some point. You've got these rising bottoms and declining tops, and eventually they're going to meet in the middle. <laughs> so, uh, and, and markets have to resolve that in one direction or the other. If they break to the upside, typically, that would suggest that markets, basically the, the bull market is back at that point. And, and we're gonna, we'll be able to look back and say, yep, that was the bottom of the market back in July. And now we're moving to the upside. Now, that's going to be very hard to kind of justify here, again, considering the Fed's hiking rates. We're trying to slow economic growth. Uh, inflation is still high. It's weighing on consumers. But that's just the way kind of the, the, the cookie crumbles in terms of the technicals. If the markets break to the downside of this wedge pattern, well, that's going to suggest that we're going to have uh, continued decline in markets. And again, that's going to line up with the bearish argument. So again, it's a very challenging market that we're in. We, you know, we can make a very good bullish case. We can also make a very bearish case. And, and both might be right, ultimately. And we just don't know which one it's going to be. And this is the problem with trying to take a position bet on one side or the other. If you're trying to bet for absolutely certain that markets are in decline, there's a reasonable chance you could be wrong. Likewise, <clears throat> betting on the bullish upside, there's a reasonable chance you could be wrong. So how do you navigate that? We're going to talk about that some more this morning uh, and when we come back from the break because this is, the, this is really kind of the point that we're in. Right now, the pain trade seems to be higher at the moment. And again, because we go back to this idea that everybody is so negative and so bearishly positioned that the pain trade might actually be a move higher in the markets, not a move lower. And there's certainly some support for that. Um, we recently got very oversold in the markets. We talked about this last week. Last week's rally because of that oversold condition has, has used up some of that oversold condition. So again, there's still some upside this week. Not as much, but there is some. And again, we've got, we're about to run into some resistance here uh, in this downtrend that we've got in the markets. Now, again, the good news is, is on Friday, we did clear above both the 50 and the 100-day moving averages. So those levels of resistance now taken out, that does leave some room up here to this 20-day moving average and potentially even the 200-day moving average, which is where markets failed on the last rally attempt. Um, we do have a buy signal on one of our indicators from a very low level that suggests also that likely to see some additional money flows into markets. And our most important signal, the, the MACD, which is the moving average convergence divergence, that is very close to turning back onto a buy signal as well. These typically tend to be fairly decent signals for at least a short-term rally in the markets. And again, now this doesn't mean the bull market is back by any stretch of the imagination, but it does suggest that there is potential here for a move higher in markets. And, and again, likely because of where markets are and what we're dealing with in terms of the Fed and everything else. And again, we'll talk some more about how to position for this market in the next segment. But, you know, this is where you'll want to use this rally to rethink about what you're doing with your portfolios. And again, this is one of the things that happens with investors, they tend to get trapped into positions where, you know, they think, well, you know, as soon as this gets back to even, well, I'll sell it and then I'll do something else. But when it gets back to even, they don't sell it because now they hope it's going to go higher and they don't want to lose out on that trade that they've been stuck with. And we make all these kind of emotionally bad decisions. So definitely use this rally, whatever this rally is here over the next week. Definitely use that rally to rebalance the, uh, your portfolio a bit here. Raise a little bit of cash, be a little bit more conservative until we can kind of figure out for sure 
uh, what this market's going to do, what the Fed's going to do. And again, you know, one of the big challenges, it's very interesting right now, Fed fund futures are suggesting that the Fed will raise their interest rates to four and a quarter percent by next year and then immediately start cutting. Now, the only reason the Fed will start cutting rates is because they recognize that we're now in a recession. And if we're in a recession, that means earnings are going to be in a recession, which means that likely we're going to have lower stock prices. So again, while you know, all the bulls are kind of rooting for this Fed pivot, by the time the Fed pivots, that's actually not going to be a great position for the market. So again, there's certainly some rooms to be bullish here in the short term. I would still be a little bit reticent about betting that this actual bear market that we're in is over because very likely we do have some more work to do. Earnings are going to slow. Earnings are going to slow. Consumer and consumptions are going to slow because of what the Fed is doing and ultimately because of inflation and that's going to feed into economic growth and ultimately that feeds into earnings. So again, we'll come back after the break. It's a very challenging market. The bull or the bear? How do you position for this? We'll talk about that after the break. Be sure to get by the website. Our latest newsletter is out, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time. And for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. back to the show this morning. So again, as we kind of get this uh, fresh week underway, the big question, again, this was kind of the challenge in the newsletter this last weekend is that if you, if you go to the website, you can uh, click on the newsletter link, get our latest newsletter. Um, you know, what we discussed in particular was this kind of, you know, kind of bullish setup, but there's this bearish backdrop. And that you know, it makes it very complicated to try to navigate a market like that, right? Because, you know, inherently we have a bias. All of us have a bias. And and some of us have a very bullish, optimistic bias. It's like, okay, bull market's back and markets are doing great. We've got this uptrend line and uh, we're oversold, got bounce off support. So it's good, right? So we've got this kind of bullish bias. And, and look, being optimistic is always much better than being pessimistic. And that's how we make money, right? But we also have, you know, a bearish bias that's easy to fall prey to, right? Because we don't want to lose money and nobody likes losing money. And, and so you have this kind of bearish backdrop and it's like, well, you know, the Fed and the economy and look, there's lots of good, fundamentally strong, foundational bearish arguments that would certainly suggest that we should remain much more you know, risk averse, at least for the time being. And, and this is the challenge, right? So how do you navigate this market? That's the big question. And, and particularly in an environment like right now, where there are some things that are suggesting that the pain trade, as I said uh, in the last segment, is to the upside. 
And again, when we take a look at some of these, you know, kind of raw data indicators, such as, you know, the, the amount of puts out on the markets and the number of people that are bearish exposure and the amount of cash that is sitting on the books of, you know, mutual funds and hedge funds. And, you know, real quick, let me digress uh, about this idea of, of cash on the sidelines, right? There is no such thing as cash on the sidelines. We talked about this before. So, you know, if if somebody's putting money into the market, then somebody's going to take money out of the market, right? Somebody's going to be a buyer. Somebody's going to be a seller. So, you know, kind of like a football team, you can only have 11 players on the field at any time, right? You have a whole bunch of players on the sideline, but you only have 11 players playing. So there's a whole big myth about, you know, cash on the sidelines. What there is, though, and there is a bias for this, is that there are a dearth of buyers or a dearth of sellers at any given time, which causes prices to move up or down. So, again, you know, going back to the football analogy, is that, you know, if I have, you know, my team is the Houston, Texas, Brent's team is the Intermediate Junior League, um, you know, and I put them on the field and, you know, well, you know, even with the Texans being as bad as they are, they could still win that matchup, right? Um, switch switch that around, and, you know, Brent brings the Rams, and I bring the elementary school flag football team, and, you know, what the outcome's going to be. And that's the way the markets are going to work as well. Sometimes you have a lot more people willing to buy than you have people willing to sell. And those that are willing to sell says, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of demand for my shares because it's a market. This is how markets work. They say, I'll sell to you, but it's going to be a much higher price. And so that drags prices up over time. Likewise, when you have a whole bunch of people wanting to sell, but not a lot of people willing to buy, prices come down. That's been the case this year. Buyers have been a bit scarce. When you have a position like you have now, right now, if you take a look at the allocations of hedge funds and mutual funds and these type of, of things. There's a lot of cash that are on the books of these portfolio managers, right? And they have to put that cash to work at some point. Now, this is doesn't mean this is cash on the sidelines. That's the myth. What it does mean, though, is that there's right now a lack of sellers. They've already sold. So, if there's a lack, if there's a dearth of sellers, right, and so if prices start to move up, they've got to take that cash and they've got to buy with it, and there's not a lot of people willing to sell at this point when prices move up. That means that prices are going to move up because you're going to have more buyers than sellers. And there's, there's that position exists at the moment, right? The sellers have sold for the most part. There's, the, the, there's been a lot of, ex, of selling exhaustion this year. A lot of people have liquidated a lot of their books, and they've got to get that. They've got to get their books rebalanced by the end of the year when they report their year balances. Particularly, this goes for mutual funds in particular, which have guidelines of how much money they can hold in cash. Generally, that's about five percent. So, if they've got more than five percent cash right now, they're going to, have to put that money back to work by the end of the year when they report. So, you know, this this what this sets up is when you have a lot of this kind of bearish positioning and and light. Um, holdings and of course very negative sentiment that creates this environment where the pain trade is higher now that does not mean the bull market is back and let's clarify this right the pain trade is higher at the moment you have a lot of shorts 
We saw a lot of short covering last week. A big chunk of that move last week was short covering, particularly on Friday. That doesn't mean the bull market is back. It just means that we are having a rally within a bearish trend right now. And then that's simply where we are. But this is why it gets so this is why it gets so difficult to navigate because we keep having these kind of short-term rallies that last two, three, four weeks. It gets everybody in the media all excited. Hey, the bull market's back. And then you wind up losing a bunch of money. And then we do it again. And it fails. And then we do it again and it fails. Now, eventually, it's going to rally and it won't fail. And that will be ultimately when the actual bottom has been put in. And, and again, has that been accomplished yet? Don't know. I don't really know. Again, when we go back and talk, talk, talk about these, you know, bearish outlooks, we can certainly make a very bearish case for the markets. Why markets should go lower. Earnings recession economic recession, higher interest rates, higher borrowing cost, plenty of arguments. But that's the type of environment also that markets begin to rally from. Markets start to try to price in that we've already accounted for all of this kind of bearish idea. Prices of the markets have already calculated in all this negative sentiment. Things can't get any worse. That's how the, the bulls start to view it. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. So this is why when we started looking at portfolios, you know, it's okay to still hold. We're, we're still overweight cash because that gives us opportunity and liquidity. There's some positions that we're looking at right now that, that have been beaten up a lot, and we like their longer-term kind of fundamental outlook. We like their longer-term positioning in their particular market. And those are things that we're going to potentially build into. But there's also not a lot of reason to be exceedingly long equity, take on an overestimated position in equity exposure because of the subsequent risk. So it's a bit of a balancing act, right? And, and it's also a, a bit of a function of just having to manage, which is as we kind of go through this cycle, we may have to take on some positions and then turn right around and take them back off again and turn around, put them back on, take them back off again. And just kind of like navigate a minefield, so to speak. You know, you, how do you navigate a minefield? Very slowly. You know, you see them in the movies, right? You see those military movies where they're down on their hands and knees and they've got their bayonet and they're poking into the ground very slowly moving, trying to find out where the landmines are. That's how you kind of have to navigate, you know, this market very slowly. It's a game of inches at this point. And, and, the, and the trick is, is to do that without stepping on the landmine, right? So the goal is it's, it's almost like a game of Frogger. How do you get across the freeway where they got smacked by a car, right? And it's that same idea. And, and you just have to manage that risk that, you know, I want to invest. I want to have money at work, but I need to do it in a manner where I don't expose myself to a lot of downside that is unrecoverable. Now, it doesn't mean you can't take on a position and lose some money in it almost right away because of this market. Certainly can do that. But, you know, if I'm buying into a good company that's going to be here for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, 
They've got a wide moat to their business. They've got a strong fundamental growth trend, you know, all these type of things. Then I can start building a position slowly into that and, and you know, buy a small position in it. And then if it pulls back some more, add to my position and build that over time. Now, eventually we'll come out of this and we'll build a good position in a good company at lower prices. And that's ultimately what we want to do. But just make sure that there's a fundamental story to that. You know, every week in our newsletter, Mike Leibowitz does a piece on Friday for our SimpleVisor.com website, our subscriber service, and it's called Five for Friday. And, and every every Friday, he goes him and and Nick Lane, our analyst, they go through and they pick five stocks that have some fundamental technical base to them and why they're interesting. And every week I post one of those in to our newsletter as well, which is free on our website. Just go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the newsletter link. And, and every week we add, we, we kind of explain one of those companies. And, and the point of that exercise is that there are good companies out there and good opportunities to be thinking about. Doesn't mean that you go buy 100% of it in your portfolio right now, right? It's just these are ideas, these are positions that have potential viability to them. And these are things that we're looking at to start building into over time. Because again, like building a house, right? We don't just throw it up overnight. You know, we lay a foundation, then we build the frame, and then we sheetrock it, and then we, you know, so forth and so on. Slow process. Same thing with managing money, particularly in trying to navigate a market like we're in today. Okay, quick break. Come back. Got some other stuff to get into. Don't go away. It's a Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com it's back to school time and for your high school student it's time to fill out the infamous fafsa form for college financial aid mistakes could cost you money our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid the fafsa register now for this free lunch and learn with danny ratliff and chris liebham thursday september 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So Brand always puts some interesting things on my uh, note page, and he put a, a graphic up this morning saying Apple animal sleep patterns, right? And who sleeps the most? So koalas sleep 22 hours a day. I want to be a koala. <laughs> yeah. One third. Basically, you're sleeping about 88% of your life away. Sounds good to me. You have no problem with that at all. Just let me be a koala. Um, kind of interesting, though. Cats sleep 12 hours a day. 
And so do rats and mice, because when the cat's awake, so are the rats and the mice, <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> and then outside of that, elephants only sleep two hours a day. Really? I thought that was pretty interesting. They live forever, too. So Must be something to that. So sleep less, live longer. You know, Albert Einstein only took 30-minute naps. He actually didn't sleep. He said sleeping was a waste of time. He just would take power naps. 30 minutes, get back to work. I don't know. Humans need eight hours of sleep, and I guarantee you my dogs sleep more than 10. So <laughs> every time I look at them, they're sleeping. So yeah. I don't know what's I've – got, I've got – basically I have koalas. That's all there is to it. So anyway, interesting. 22 hours. I want to sleep that long. Barking koalas. Exactly. Um, all right. So a um, couple of things here. You know, so, you know, as we were talking about, you know, kind of the economy – you know, one of the things that we haven't seen yet is the impact of what's happening really kind of across the board. And there's so many different aspects of things happening economically right now that, in my opinion, right, just, and it's just my opinion and it's worth what it's worth, have not been factored fully into the markets or earnings yet. And, you know, I think that's something that, that's a risk that we've got to at least be paying attention. I mean, look at what's happening in Europe with just energy prices, right? Talking to my son over the weekend and, you know, just, you know, electric prices in, in Germany are just, you know, skyrocketing and the cost of, of food and everything else is, is very high. And you think, you think you've got problems here paying electric bills. You know, in Europe, it's dramatic and now europe's trying to talk about bailing people out giving people more kind of bailout funds to help pay for electric costs capping electric bills i mean these are all terrible ideas that lead to really bad outcomes economically and again that's something that probably hasn't been been fed into markets yet but again this markets are going okay that's europe this you know we're in the united states that's all in europe but that has a consequence and those will eventually kind of loop back in. You know, we're so globally interconnected now. You know, what happens in Europe will affect the U.S. Used to take, you know, in the 70s, if you wanted to ship something overseas, it took weeks, right? Now we can just fly stuff over there in a, in a day. So... You know, the world is much more globally interconnected because of the Internet and transactions and all this. We're, we're so much more interconnected today globally than we ever were previously that these impacts in Europe between what's happening with their economy, what's going on with power costs and all these type of things, is going to ultimately feed back into consumption trends. And that's going to weigh on not just a Europe recession, but a U.S. recession as well. And I'm not sure that that's been fully factored into earnings estimates and other areas of the market yet. I'm sure those are still coming. This morning on Yahoo Finance, Brian Sozzi was writing, uh, he went to a couple of these kind of Wall Street conferences and this is conference season for wall street right now and so 
a lot of these big Wall Street firms have a lot of the companies that they sponsor or do investment banking for or whatever come and give talks. And so he was listening to a lot of these CEOs and he made some points I thought that were interesting because he, he kind of laid out these kind of 12 points. I'm not going through all of them, but there was a couple of them that were pretty interesting. He says not one executive that he talked to is seeing trends in their business that hint the U.S. economy will be in a recession in the first quarter of 2023. So no recession between now and the first quarter. And that's probably true. And we've said that here on the show. You know, the first two quarters of the year was slow down. There was a lot of inventory destocking. Now there's a bit of activity here to restock some inventory, particularly as we go into the holiday shopping season. And consumption spending at this point still seems to be kind of kicking off on all cylinders, right? Uh, Bank of America just did their credit card survey and looks like retail sales were up about 5% in August. Not surprising with back to school. I contributed to that as well, getting my kids into college. Now, interestingly, though, they go on to state that <clears throat> while they don't see a recession, they don't see a really strong economic recovery either. Right? Consumer demand hasn't bounced back yet. Consumer demand is still, you know, kind of kind of on its its sluggish trajectory, but that's about the best you can say for it. The caution on parts of C and we've talked about recently about CEO and CFO confidence, which has been just in the toilet now. That's going to translate. Right now they're being cautionary, and in the moment they're not firing people yet, but that's coming. So layoffs and unemployment is coming that's just a function of time here before we start to see that and again you know there's and 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 as i was stating there's a palpable fear of what's happening with the multinationals particularly in europe because of what's happening over there and this isn't just the war in the ukraine it's it's the it's it's that yes but it's all the other ancillary impacts that are hitting their economy, just like the ones that we're getting hit with here. And the, one, the most important comment that he made, and this is and this is something we talked about, and we talked about on the show, and we've also written about it here, kind of repeatedly lately, is that we haven't seen the effect yet of these Fed rate hikes. They have not come in through the system in terms of higher borrowing costs. Now, having said that, average U.S. credit card spending is now pushing records at the same time that we've got record credit card usage the credit card rate has now hit the highest record on the highest level on record the average credit card rate is now a record high 18.03 percent surpassing the previous record of 17.87 in august and april of 2019 so what does that mean? Well, that means that the average credit card payment is now going to be higher, which means that more money goes to debt service and away from consumptive spending, which means slower consumption at the end of the day. And as more of these Fed rate hikes feed through, that's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's going to contract spending even more. Now, once that occurs, then, of course, companies become more defensive to protect their profitability. There is a point to where they can't pass on inflation to consumers anymore, and they're going to have to start eating more of it. That's going to erode profit margins and earnings. 
So there's certainly risk to the outlook as we end the next year. And again, companies are cautious right now, but they're not bearish. And when, they're, and when companies are cautious, that just means, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a hiring freeze on. I'm going to maybe not make some acquisitions I was going to make. I'm not going to do some CapEx. I was planning on I'm going to hold that off a little bit. But that's just, I'm just going to kind of be cautious right now. Once their attitude gets bearish, that's where they start laying off workers, raising capital, bring in, increasing cash levels, terminating, you know, acquisitions, whatever. Stock buybacks get cut. Dividend increases get cut. Dividends get cut, right, when we get to that point. We're not there yet. But those are the those are the risks that are coming, and those are the things that we've got to kind of pay attention to, you know. And again, you know, one of the things that we you know we we are taking a little bit lightly in terms of the markets, and again, in the short term, as we were saying in the last segment, you know, it's a very interesting position right now because I can make a very bullish case for markets short term in that, you know, the pain trades higher. But the big concern I have is moving into 2023 because of all these other impacts. We've also got midterms coming up. Now, midterms won't have a tremendous impact on markets. It's going to probably increase some volatility in the short term leading up to the midterms. The best outcome from midterms is gridlock. So... Republicans take the Senate, Democrats keep the House, you know, whatever. However you want to mix and match that up. Or Republicans regain control of the House and the Senate, and you've got a Democratic president, right? So whatever it is, it just means that no legislation gets passed whatsoever, right? And markets like gridlock because, again, they can just, I know what I've got, I know what I'm dealing with, and I don't have to deal with anything new, right? Markets like that. So one of the better outcomes for the markets going into year end could be gridlock in Washington come midterms. But we still have to deal with all this other stuff. All right, come back from the break, wrap up the show, don't go away. Get, get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time. And for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
647 is getting ready to wrap up the show this morning. And uh, futures are pointing higher. Um, Dow's up about 84 points right now. S&P's up 20 points. And NASDAQ's up about 70 points. Um, so it's about half a percent on the S&P and the NASDAQ this morning. Um, kind of following through from Friday's rally, not surprising. We got above important resistance. We went through both the 50 and the 100-day uh, moving average. So that kind of clears the way for a bit more of a rally here. Again, not overbought yet. Likely, if this market can kind of hang in there this week, we will trigger a buy signal on one of our more important technical indicators, suggesting that this market could rally a bit higher here short term. Um, but again, yeah, I can just take this day by day because, you know, again, as we've been talking about all morning, it's a certainly a challenging market at best to deal with. There's so many impacts running one way or the other you know it's very interesting we've talked about this before is that you know this is all i do all day is analyze markets that's my job and, and it's always fascinates me is that you know i, I talk to people I, I get emails from people all the time uh, every day and i'm happy to answer emails right so if you have a question get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com there's an ask question block right at the top of the page send me your question i answer them all and if you ask a stupid question, I'll give you a stupid answer. But no question is stupid if you don't know the answer, right? So I'm always happy to help. Um, but it's always interesting because I get emails from people. It's like, well, you know, I'm especially younger investors. Um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm investing some money. I'm borrowing some money to put into the markets, you know, whatever doing. There's just lots of traditionally really bad decisions. And we have to try to work through some of those things. And it's always interesting, though, because, you know, if you think about it for a moment, the complexity of what's going on in markets and what you're doing with your capital is interesting to me, psychologically. You know, we go to school and we study to become lawyers, doctors, engineers, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, so we study for four or five years, six years, however long it takes, you know, it takes a lot longer to become a doctor. And you get all this specialized skill in your particular field of knowledge. And when you graduate college, you know nothing about your field, right? And, you know, anybody in, in, in the business world will tell you, like, the kid right out of college comes strutting out with his engineering degree, and an old engineer will say, you, you know nothing. <laughs> you, you know nothing about anything. Now we're going to teach you, right? And, you know, one of my, uh, when, I, when I graduated college, our commencement speech was by a very successful businessman at the time. And he said, he said, you learn nothing in college except for how to find information. That's what you learned in college, how to access and find information. Now what you're going to learn is how to put that information to use. And that's what your job will teach you. And so we go to work for companies and we become very adept at our skill, whatever it is. You know, be an engineer, whatever, lawyer. You know, just kind of a good example, right? Who do you, you know, you're, you're convicted of murder. Who do you want to defend you in court? A kid just out of law school or a guy that's been defending criminals for 50 years very successfully, right? Or I shouldn't say 50 years. He's like 900 years old at that point. 20 years been defending criminals for 20 years very successfully, right? That's the guy you want. 
And it's because experience is a much better teacher than, than what you learn in college, right? And so here's my point about this. When you're talking about the law as an example, or an engineer, or being a doctor, you're confined by a certain set of variables for the most part, right? The law is the law. So whatever the case is, you're confined by the variables of the law and you defend the case, right? Or if you're a doctor and there's a problem, there's only so many variables that you have to deal with. There's a lot of them, but there's only so many, right? If the guy's bleeding profusely, if you don't stop the bleeding, he dies. I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry what you have to do, right? The problem is, is that we all go out into the financial markets and think that we can manage money. And we're managing money against huge hedge funds that have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in algorithms and computers and everything else, you know, managing aspects of the markets. Trying to, you know, you know, tracking price trades real time and, um, you know, manipulating prices to a great degree through high frequency trading. And you think you're going to trade against that and you're going to be successful. Then on top of that, you have to understand the impacts of politics in the U.S., geopolitics, economics in the U.S., world economics, financial issues, credit. Debt, the dollar, what's happening with currencies worldwide, all these things. I mean, just, it, it is a literally a unlimited amount of, even the weather affects financial markets in some degree. And so all these factors you have to factor into managing your own money. Not to mention valuations and going down the list. And we all do this with no education, right? We, we just jump out there in the financial markets and go, hey, pfft, I'm going to throw my money in the market. I'm going to make money because it just goes up over time. That's what I'm told anyway until we get into one of these markets like we're in now. And, and, the pro, and, and so my point is this, is that I'm not, you're not, nobody is smarter than the market. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows where this market's going to be three days from now, much less three months from now, much less three years from now. And so the point is that we have to manage our money. Look, we don't have a choice, right? I mean, we have to invest. I'm not telling you not to invest. We have to invest. We have to put that money to work. We have to try to grow our wealth at a rate to outpace the rate of inflation over the long term. So, you know, we, we've got to do that. But we have to do it in a manner where we don't destroy our savings. And this is the thing that we always lose sight on, is that the money that we invest is our savings. That's our retirement. That's the things that we're planning on. And so when we lose a lot of money, we have this kind of cavalier attitude about it. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, I lost $50,000 in some stock I bought. It was, a, it was just a flyer, though, and, you know, I just, you know, if it worked, it, I would have made a bunch of money, but it didn't work, so I lost 50 grand. No big deal, right? We lose sight of that fact because we treat the markets like a casino, right? Now, if you went to Vegas, took $50,000 out of your bank account, went to Vegas, betted on black, lost, how would you feel about that? 
Yeah, it'd be devastating, right? Man, I just lost 50 grand. It's a roulette table. Can't believe how stupid. But, but that's what we do in the markets all the time is we take those flyer bets and when they don't work out, we're just like, eh, pff, whatever. But 50 grand over 30 years has a very big impact on the net value of our retirement. And we need to be focusing on our capital as a, as a sanctuary, right? We want to protect that capital as much as we can so that it has the best ability for us to grow over time. But because of what the Fed has done to the markets over the last 12 years, we've now, you know, we've, we've now destroyed that belief system in the markets of investing for the long term and managing risk. And we've just turned everything into a giant casino. And we've forgotten about what happened prior to that. Here's an interesting stat for you. Two numbers, 5.6 and 3.4%. Five point six percent is the annual twenty-year compounded growth rate of the market from nineteen ninety-nine through two thousand and eighteen on a nominal basis. That's important. That's an important number, five point six percent, because that is half the long-term run rate of markets return. See, we all forget about. 2001 and 2, that 50% drawdown. We forget about 2008 now because it's a distant memory where people lost half their money. See, we forget about those impacts to markets when you get into this kind of frenzy-fueled, monetarily-driven market that we've been in for the last, you know, 12 years. And if you want to take a look at it, go look at a nominal chart of the S&P. You know, everybody wants to put stuff into log charts, which is fine, right? Because what log scale does for a chart is it minimizes the impact of large numbers. So it's kind of like manipulating data a bit, right? But it, it makes, it smooths the chart. So you can like, if you have big, very jumps in numbers, you can kind of smooth some of them out a bit. And just for a visual perspective. But if you really want to understand the amount of this fueling of the markets over the last 12 years. Take a look at the S&P on a nominal basis, not log scale. This is by far and away the largest increase in asset prices ever on record. And there's no basis for it. It outstrips economic growth. It outstrips earnings growth. It outstrips debt growth, everything. And a lot of this is because of the Fed, because of government interventions, and because of the speculative frenzy of turning the markets into a casino. If you're going to be betting in a market that's a casino, you have to treat the market like a casino. Manage your risk. Know when to walk away. Know when to make your bets. I'm about to write an article about this. Coming up on the website soon, I promise. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Get by our simplevisor.com as well. 30-day free trial. Check out all of our latest trades, portfolio analysis. We've got lots of new tools coming your way as well to help you manage your money, uh, manage money yourself, do it better. And you can follow our portfolios is there as well. Simplevisor.com. Try it out for free for 30 days. Simplevisor.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.